0: Good morning and thanks for being here this morning. My name is DJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity and this morning I get the privilege of leading us in our study of God's word together. We're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning, uh, chapter 10. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you, I'd invite you to take it out. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on one of the seat trays underneath the row in front of you. You can take that and join us as we continue going through the Gospel of Matthew. So here at Trinity, we love the Bible. We believe the Bible is how we get to know Jesus. It's how we get to know God. It's how we get to know ourselves and understand who God is, who we are, and how we should respond to him. And so we study it week by week. Most often we take a book of the Bible and we work through it sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. We want to understand it in its original context and then apply it to our lives today because it has something to say to you, it has something to say to me and we want to understand what that is. And so we're in a study of the Gospel of Matthew which is the story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, we've been going through hearing his teaching, seeing the miracles he performs, and, and this week we're continuing this little section where we watch him take these disciples, these 12 guys he's called together, and now he's sending them out on their own to do some of this stuff on their own for the first time, to go out and and do the kind of things that he did, to say the kind of things that he said, and he's preparing them for that process. And so today we'll look at verses 26 through 33 as he gives them a word of encouragement. Uh, Maybe not the words of encouragement we might expect, but a word of encouragement as they go out into a world that is, in many cases, going to be hostile. If you didn't get a listening guide on your way in, it's a little piece of paper that'll have our text, some space to take notes, help you follow along. You can slip your hand up. Alex will come down from the back. Make sure you get one of those uh, if you would like it. And as we prepare this morning, I want to ask you a question. What frightens you? What is it that scares you this morning? Now, it's October. Halloween is right around the corner, and so you're going to have these little kids dressed up as all sorts of things coming to your door and demanding candy, or they'll give you some sort of trick. I've never actually experienced the trick yet, so it must be pretty awful if everybody just freely gives out a bunch of candy. Um, But we think about scary things around Halloween, right? Maybe you like to watch scary movies, and if that's the case... You can find all sorts of things to scare you. You can find psychotic killers, malevolent spirits, monsters, aliens. Take your pick, and there is a movie that will scare you out of your wits. Uh, Maybe that's how you're going to spend these next few weeks. And while a lot of those things may make for some nerve-wracking cinema, our own fears tend to be a lot more mundane, don't they? A lot more commonplace, but no less frightening. Because those things that we fear tend to be a lot more real. Maybe you fear death. Maybe you fear financial hardship, conflict, friendships lost. These things are a lot scarier than the bloody terrors on screen in horror movies because they are all too real. I'm not likely to be overwhelmed by a zombie apocalypse in the next week. If I were, I imagine that would be quite terrifying, but it's not really occupying the the list of things I worry about because it's not going to happen. But the more likely a fear is to be realized, the scarier it becomes. If I know that a friend of mine could turn their back on me this week or could be taken from me in death or sickness or hardship, that's something that's a lot more real. I can't dismiss that out of hand. So the the more real something becomes, the more likely it is to be a paralyzing fear in our lives. So what if I told you that something scary was absolutely certain to happen to you? Well, That'd be troubling, wouldn't it? And what if I then told you not to be afraid of it? You'd probably want to know why, right? If something frightening is about to happen to me, why shouldn't I be afraid? Well, that's the situation that Jesus' disciples find themselves in in our text this morning. He's getting ready to send them out to do ministry on their own to the people of Israel to carry on his message, to carry on his ministry, and he tells them that, hey, ultimately, you guys are going to end up being falsely accused, beaten, imprisoned, even killed. Not really the motivational speech that I would have wanted to hear. I'm not sure I'd sleep a ton that night knowing that I'm heading out into that kind of world, that kind of mission the next morning. And yet in our text today, Jesus tells them not to be afraid. And he's going to tell them specific things that will help them to overcome their fears. And ironically, what will help them overcome their fears is having the right kind of fear. Fearing the right things instead of the wrong thing. So we're going to look together at what that is, at what that means, and how it changes my life and yours this morning. So let's read together Matthew 10, beginning in verse 26, and we'll read through verse 33. Jesus is speaking here in verse 26, and he says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's God's word to us this morning. Let's pray and we'll study it together. Our good God and loving Father, we come to you this morning asking humbly that what we know not you will teach us, What we have not, you will give us. What we are not, you will make us. By the power of your spirit, through the teaching of your word. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right. so, right off the bat, notice the word our text starts with. So, have no fear of them. So is the same word in the Greek that we often translate as therefore. So Jesus, right here in verse 26, is saying something that we have to go back to the previous verses to fully understand. So have no fear of them. Well, well, why? What's the so pointing me towards? We're going to look at several reasons in today's text not to be afraid. But the first reason comes before our text even begins. It comes from last week, what we looked at there, what Pastor Todd talked to us about. And as we go back, what did we talk about last week? We talked about Jesus saying, persecution, suffering, hardship is going to come. It's going to come. Now you might think, that doesn't sound very reassuring at all. Why would that mean that I shouldn't be afraid? Well, you shouldn't be afraid because Jesus is telling you ahead of time that it's coming. Nothing is going to happen to you that is outside the control, outside the sight of a sovereign God who is in control of all things. And so he's telling you ahead of time, hey, this is going to go down this way, but, but it's all right. I'm in control. I'm in control of all of this. And so before we even get into specific reasons that we shouldn't be afraid as we carry Jesus's message and his mission, we're reminded that we shouldn't be afraid because none of it's a surprise to God, right? He holds us in the palm of his hand and nothing is going to ever happen to you that will cause God to say, whoa, didn't see that coming. I don't know how we're going to handle this one. He knows it all, and he's telling us these things so that when they happen, we won't be caught off guard, we won't stumble, we won't be afraid, but we'll understand what's happening to me is exactly what God has said would happen. So in other words, don't be afraid because God has got this. In fact, we could even shorten all the reasons we're going to talk about this morning, not not to be afraid, we could shorten them to don't be afraid because God. Don't be afraid because God. Everything that we're going to see, all the other reasons, flow out of the character of who God is. And those specifics are important, right? We don't want to just cavalierly say, oh, don't be afraid because God, because he gives us specific reasons to trust him, specific reasons to think through that we shouldn't be afraid. But we need to remember that everything we're about to look at is true because of the God who we know, the God who we serve, the God who we follow, who sends us out. His character is what builds up our defenses against fear. So now let's look at the specifics. Let's look at what Jesus tells them, the reasons Jesus tells them not to be afraid. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. He tells them not to be afraid of the dark, because everything will ultimately end up in the light don't fear the dark because the light is coming. What he's saying is everything that is hidden and secret will ultimately be made known and laid bare. Everything that happens in the dark, in the secret, will ultimately be laid bare for all the world to see. God takes what is hidden in the dark and brings it into the light. Now, we might say, why is this a comfort? Why would this be what Jesus leads with in terms of comforting us against the fears with what we're going to face out in the world? Well, this is a comfort because as we go out into the world and we live for Christ, we carry his message, we accomplish his mission, we are going to be slandered. We are going to be misrepresented. We're going to be accused of things that aren't true. We're going to experience injustice. People are going to believe lies about us, and they're going to act accordingly. And that can be a terrifying thought, right? I'm sure all of us, in some way, shape, or form, whether related to our faith or something else, have experienced this, have experienced people believing something about us that's not true. And we get mistreated because of it, and it's paralyzing because we know deep down that that's not true. Why, Why would you believe that? But we're powerless to change it. What Jesus is telling his disciples here is ultimately, everything that happens in the dark is going to be brought out into the light. One day, the truth is going to come out. There will be never one bit of ultimate injustice in the world. Think about that. No one will ever actually get away with anything because God sees, because God knows, and God ultimately will act. Now That's freeing, isn't it? Because of that, I don't have to make, when I'm wrong, I don't have to make clearing my name my all-consuming life's mission. Because my name is clear already in the sight of the only one who matters. And one day, he will set the record straight. So I don't have to consume myself with doing it for him. Ultimately, it will be clear in the sight of all the universe. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So have no fear. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4 3 through 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So notice what he's saying. Here is what people who are outside of Christ will do with their lives. When you don't follow that same path, they're surprised and they're going to tear you down. They're going to malign you unjustly. What does Peter offer to us as the solution? But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Right? God's got it. They're going to malign you. But that's okay because God sees and God knows. In fact, Jesus models this very thing for us in his life. 1 Peter 2, 23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. No one has ever been slandered, has ever been maligned, has ever been unjustly accused and mistreated as Jesus Christ. There was nothing in him, wrong, nothing in him sinful, nothing worthy of any of the suffering that he endured, and yet he entrusted himself to his father who judges justly and who will act ultimately to set all things right. So don't be afraid when people tear you down in the dark because it will ultimately be brought into the light. Don't be afraid when you experience injustice. Don't be afraid when people call you narrow-minded because you preach about only one Savior and say that He is the way to know God. Don't be afraid when people call you a bigot because you call sin, sin, and plead with people to leave it behind and come follow Christ and experience life instead. Don't be afraid when people mistake your forgiveness for weakness. Don't be afraid when they can't find anything legitimate to accuse you of, and so they go inventing stuff and and slander you and, and tell lies like they did to Daniel, right? To try to bring him down. And don't be afraid when people do all of those things and everyone around you believes every word of it, and you are left on the outside looking in. You're maligned, you're an outcast, you're mistreated. Because one day, everyone will see the truth. Because Jesus' M.O. is taking what's in the dark and bringing it into the light. That's what he does with us, right? He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He does it with us. He's doing it with his gospel, right? Look at verse 27. He's telling us that what starts in the quiet of this backwoods Middle Eastern village is going to spread everywhere. It's going to be known the world over. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. The gospel is going out to all the nations. It's going out of this quiet little corner of the world and it's being proclaimed from the the rooftops. Jesus says what starts in the dark is coming into the light. That's how he operates. Jesus is taking the gospel of light to a dark world. And we're called to be a part of that. And guess what? Once the light comes out into a dark world, the dark world cannot put it back in the box, right? The light will always prevail over the darkness. And so when you are torn down in the dark, when you are lied about, when you are slandered, when you are maligned, don't be afraid because nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Jesus, the Lord of all the universe, has your back and God will bring everything from the dark into the light. So don't be afraid of the dark, but remember that the light is coming. Then in verse 28, we're given our next admonition not to fear. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Right? We're told not to fear people who can kill the body, but not the soul. Now, taken by itself, that might seem like it's of little comfort. Well, it's fantastic that they can't kill my soul, but I'd really rather them not kill my body too. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun even there. But this isn't given to us by itself. There are many who can kill the body, but there's only one who can destroy the body and the soul. And what we're told is fear him instead. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What we're being told here is, don't be afraid of mere men, but fear the eternal God. We're calling our message this morning the right kind of fear. This is the right kind of fear. This fear of the eternal God is what changes all the other fears that you experience. You see, until you learn the right kind of fear, you will always be afraid. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century British preacher, said, There is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. And author Oswald Chambers says the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear him, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Let's think about the implications of this. The fear that men carry comes from what we fear they will do if we don't do what they want, right? So in the disciples' case, Jesus is warning them against fear, The fear comes from they're going to be taking an unpopular message that people don't want to hear, and the disciples will be mistreated as a result. They'll be beaten. They'll be thrown in prison. They will even be killed. They'll be tempted to be quiet about their mission, about their message, because of what people will do to them when they hear it. And in our case today, we may face similar fears. You may be tempted to stay quiet about your faith in Christ, because you fear what people will do to you as a result. Now, you're not afraid in our country of being beaten, thrown in prison, or killed, but you might be afraid that you're going to be marginalized socially, that maybe if you are vocal about your faith in the workplace, you might get passed over for that promotion that you want and feel like you deserve. You might be worried that people are going to think you're simple-minded or unrealistic and not trustworthy, And so we're tempted to stay quiet because of what we fear people will do to us. And the point that Jesus is making here is if given a choice between listening to people who at worst can kill us and listening to God who is the perfect righteous judge of all the universe and can cast us into eternal punishment, body and soul, who would you rather cast your lot with? Who would you rather throw in with? Are you going to fear men who can only kill the body, or are you going to fear God who can destroy both body and soul? I started this morning by asking you, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? Do you fear hell? Do you fear hell? That question might sound downright silly to some of you in our modern enlightened age. Like, do people still believe in hell, right? polite society doesn't believe in hell anymore, maybe heaven, heaven sounds pleasant, but we don't believe in hell, do we? Polite society isn't afraid of an eternal God who will punish them for their sins, and I would suggest to you this morning that that's why polite society is afraid of pretty much everything else. Our world is soaked with fears, I read some research over the last couple of weeks preparing for this message about fear. surveys of the American public, and what people are afraid of is increasing. Stuff that even 10 years ago people weren't afraid of is now being reported by a majority of the population. And the things that I read a study on like the top 10 fears and what percentage of survey respondents said, yes, I'm afraid of that. The the stuff that was like in the bottom, the 8, 9, 10 slot, had the same percentage of people responding as stuff that was in like the 2, 3 slot 10 years ago. We're a culture that's afraid. We're afraid because we live in a scary world where all kinds of bad stuff could happen. But if there's a God who is eternal, who is on the throne, and who is ultimately in charge of the universe, then those things that our world fears don't seem quite as scary anymore corrupt politicians, climate catastrophe, economic collapse. If there is no God and the universe is just the Wild West and it's every man for yourself and do the best you can, those things are scary. Those things could legitimately mean the end of the world if it gets bad enough. But if they're all ultimately under the sway of a sovereign God who rules over the universe, well, then they're not quite as terrifying. When you've got somebody at your back who is bigger than you, you feel bolder, right? You're not as prone to fear and to worry. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, don't fear those who kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Have an appropriate, big view of God, and you won't have an inappropriately big view of all the people around you, even when the world can be a very scary place when we trust in a god who is truly god who punishes evil and wrongdoing then suddenly we don't have to fear evil and wrongdoing like we otherwise would so don't be afraid of mere men but fear the eternal god now perhaps you would say well that's just trading one fear for another and arguably, it's, it's trading one fear for one that's even worse, right? You'd say, I, I, I can be afraid of all the things in the world. If I, you're telling me to fear God who can cast me into hell instead, that sounds even more terrifying. Perhaps you think of God as an angry, vindictive tyrant who's out to squash all the joy of the world. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And if you don't follow all his 27,000 little rules, he's going to cast you into hell forever. If that's what God is like, what comfort is he? What comfort is that? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 29 that God is actually nothing like that at all. He's not a petty, vindictive tyrant. In fact, what, what does Jesus tell us God's like? He says he's a caring father. So that's our next admonition, is don't be afraid of a cold and indifferent universe, but remember your caring father. How does Jesus tell us this? Well, let's look at verse 29. Sounds like he's really changing direction here. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. All right, so we're talking about hell, now we're talking about birds. Everybody see the connection? Well, What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, hey, God is to be feared. He is the righteous judge of all the universe. But he's not only that. He's also one who cares for you beyond your wildest imagination. So Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Jesus tells us consider one of the smallest, most insignificant creatures around, a common sparrow. Now, these creatures were bought and sold in the marketplace quite frequently. When people would go out, you could buy a sparrow, and it was about the cheapest thing that you could possibly buy. Jesus tells us that two of them were sold for a penny. The term that we translate in verse 29 here is penny in in the Greek as a serion. It's a brass coin that was the smallest bit of Roman currency, right? The smallest, most insignificant piece of currency in their world at that time. For us, that's a penny. Now, if you see a penny laying in the parking lot on your way to your car when you leave today, would you even stop to pick it up? I'm guessing most of us probably wouldn't, right? Not a whole lot of value. And Jesus says, you could get two sparrows for that. You could get two sparrows for what you wouldn't even bother to pick up off the street. These are insignificant creatures. Nobody in Jesus' world, none of his disciples, would give a rip about sparrows. And so Jesus is telling them, to you guys, these things are absolutely worthless. They are of no value whatsoever. And yet, God knows every single one. And not one of them loses its life. Not one of them can fall to the ground away from God's attention and away from God's care. Now, that's remarkable. Now, in contrast with the sparrow, what about us? That's where Jesus goes on in verse 30. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So we're told that God fixes his love, attention, and fatherly concern on even the most insignificant creatures in the universe. And that being the case, then we're told, how closely does God watch us? How closely does he have his eye on us? He has every single hair on our heads numbered. You ever tried to count your own hairs? I mean, the longer that we go in life, guys, it gets easier, but still probably not going to be able to pull it off anytime soon. God knows the exact count. The exact count of every single hair on your head. And he knows the exact count of every single human being on this planet. All seven billion of us. And the exact count of every single human being who has ever lived in the past and the exact count of every single human being who will be born in the future. God cares about sparrows, and you are worth more than many sparrows. So here we find the paradox. We've just been told to fear God as the holy and righteous judge of all the universe, this eternal judge who can destroy body and soul in hell, and now we're told, and he cares about He cares about you in a more intimate way than you could possibly imagine. This is why when you trust in God, you shouldn't be afraid no matter what you face in this world. What Jesus is saying here in verses 29 through 31, when he tells us to fear God, what he's telling us is not to just make a cold calculated move to align yourself with the strongest side in the fight, although you are doing that, right? You're throwing in your lot with him who can destroy body and soul in hell, the most powerful force in all the universe. But you're not just doing that. You're also the child of a caring father, and you're running to your father's arms. You're never beyond his concern. He is the holy and righteous judge of all the universe, and yet he loves and cares about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. You can't count your hairs. He's got it like that. What a remarkable truth this is. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the implications of that for your life, for your fears, for the things that you are legitimately worried about as you face tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Think about the implications of this kind of caring father when you're hurting, when you're sad, when you're slandered, when you're maligned, when you're all alone, when you screw up and you've got nobody to blame but yourself, in those times and in every other time you can possibly imagine, God loves you. God cares for you. What a truth that is. Contrast that with the implications of a blind, naturalistic, materialistic universe. A universe where there is no God. A universe where you live, where you die, and that's it. And nobody cares because there's nobody there to care. People might care for you, but they're going to die too. In the end, what's it matter? A universe where sometimes bad things happen, and that stinks, but oh well. What are you going to do? There is no justice. I mean, You might get justice in this life, but most people don't, let's be frank. A universe where some people get rich, some people get tortured to death, and none of it really matters in the end. The universe doesn't give a rip, right? If there's no God in heaven, there's no meaning here. And there's no one who's with you When life is scary, life is just scary. And it might turn out all right or it might not. Good luck. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you think faith is irrational. It's silly. It doesn't make sense. You would say, science leads me to believe in a universe with no God. But my life still has purpose. It still has meaning because I make it have purpose and I make it have meaning. I'm going to tell you humbly and with all due respect, that doesn't float. And it doesn't give you a leg to stand on when the universe gets really cold because it doesn't care. And if you think, well, you you, you just don't know. Let me quote some of your own prophets, right? Ernest Hemingway, the brilliant writer and atheist, said, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness, nothingness to nothingness. You're born... And then you die, and there ain't nothing else. And any semblance of joy or beauty or all these things that we see in this life, it's just a dirty trick because it's not real. There's no significance. Hemingway saw it. Bertrand, Bertrand Russell, the great atheist philosopher, said, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Unless you assume that there is a God... Asking what the purpose of life is is nonsensical. What is purpose? The universe will eventually burn out. Our sun will eventually collapse in upon itself. This planet's gone. Everybody dies. Oh, well. Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. And so I want you to hear just how important this truth is where Jesus says, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. When it comes to your fears and your anxieties, the existence of God matters. It matters that God is real, that he's there, that he's all-powerful, as we just heard earlier, but also that he cares about you. He's not just God out there. He's God right here. He knows you intimately. He knows your victories, and he knows your failures, and he loves you the same through it all. And he calls you to remember that even as he cares for the most insignificant creatures in the universe, think like how much more he cares about you. So don't be afraid, because God's not watching this as an as an unimpassioned spectator from the bleachers of heaven. Like, he knows what's going to happen, and he's just sitting back coldly watching what, no, he's Right here with you. He's intimately involved in every emotion that floods through your being. Your father cares for you, he loves you, and that makes all the difference. So don't be afraid of a cold, indifferent universe because you don't live in one. You live in a universe with a caring and loving father. And remember him when you are afraid, when you want to shrink back from doing what Jesus. Has called you to do. And so, three times now in this text, Jesus has told his disciples not to fear. Don't fear, for there's nothing covered that will not be revealed. Don't fear those who can kill the body when the God who calls you can destroy both the body and the soul in hell forever. And don't fear because God cares for even insignificant creatures like sparrows, and you are worth more than many sparrows. What he's calling us, as we arrive at verses 32 through 33, what he's calling his disciples to, and by extension what he's calling us to, is not to take the path of fear, but instead to take the path of faith. Those are really the only two paths that are put in front of us. Once we encounter Jesus like these guys did, once we are changed by him, and as he sends us out into the world, We can either live by faith in the one who calls us, or we can live in fear of everything around us and walk away from the calling that we've received. And Jesus is telling us here, don't take the path of fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And in verse 32, we see the eternal destiny of both of those paths. We see where they lead because the path of fear might look like a more pleasant and easier road in this life than the path of faith. But Jesus says they're going to wind up in two wildly different places. Verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So whoever acknowledges Jesus before men, Jesus will acknowledge before God. Whoever denies Jesus before men, Jesus will deny before God. The way that we respond in this life, whether we respond in fear or in faith, will determine the path of our eternal destiny. If we acknowledge Christ before men in this world, we will be acknowledged by God when we meet him in the next but if we deny Christ, if we shrink back and we take the path of fear and we please men, then we will find our eternal destiny apart from God in the next life. Now, you might think, but aren't, aren't we saved by faith, right? Aren't we saved by grace through faith, not because of the good deeds that we do? So how, how can you say that that if I don't do certain things in this life, that I won't be with God in the next? Because won't won't my faith cover those things? Well, we are saved by faith. Of course we are. But faith is not invisible. Faith cannot be invisible. Faith changes us. If we have the kind of faith in God that saves us, It makes us look different as we walk through this life. Consider one of the most famous passages about our being saved by grace through faith in all the Bible. And then consider what it says. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? You're saved by faith, by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. Couldn't be any more clear, Right? That it's not about us being good enough or smart enough or strong enough or righteous enough. It's a matter of grace through faith. But then, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our faith isn't this isolated thing that happens apart from the real world. God tells us that we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that so that we may walk in the path that he's prepared for us, in the good works that he has for us to do. Remember what we said a couple of weeks ago, your life matters. The things that you do on a daily basis will have echoes that will reverberate for eternity. And so whether we take the path of fear or the path of faith will demonstrate the reality of the faith that we profess within us. will demonstrate if we really have been saved by grace through faith. Our actions will ultimately show what we believe. And so when people watch our lives, what will they see that we fear? Will they see that we fear this world and what it values, what it requires, and what it promises to give? Or will they see that we have the right kind of fear, a different kind of fear, that our allegiance ultimately lies with God, with the one who has given us our message, our mission? Will they see that we fear the righteous and omnipotent judge of all the universe who also is the kind and caring father who looks on us as his treasured children. If you believe that, if you believe that the God in heaven who set the stars in the sky knows and loves and has saved you by giving his own son to pay the penalty for your sin, it will change you. It will transform you and it will help you to walk the path of faith rather than the path of fear. Now that's not to say you're never going to step on the wrong side of the street. You're not going to get it perfect. But God is big enough to handle that, right? Remember, he he knows everything. It's not taking him by surprise, and his grace is sufficient for you day by day. So let's ask ourselves some questions. Do you believe in a God who is going to one day make all things right? Who's going to take everything that's hidden in the darkness and bring it into the light? and perfectly settle all the accounts? Does it show in how you live? When people malign you, mistreat you, are you worried about what people are going to say about you, what they're going to think about you? Or have you found the incredible freedom from knowing that if you're right in God's sight, that's all that's ultimately going to matter? And God will one day vindicate you when you are mistreated for his name's sake. It's freeing. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you live. Do you believe in that kind of a God? Do you fear men or do you fear God? This is a tough one. I'm not preaching to you here as someone who's distant and above all of these petty little fears. The world's a scary place. Right? nations. Rulers, other people in our social orbit can be really scary. The idea of being cast out from polite society can be really scary. But is your view of God bigger than all of those things? Is your view of God bigger than all of the things that frighten you in this world? Do you view God as just like a cuddly, comforting thought for little old ladies that doesn't really have any kind of bearing in the real world? Or do you view God as a righteous and terrible force that nothing and no one can stand against and who, if you are in Christ, stands at your back? That makes all the difference, right? If God's at your back, who do you fear? That sounds almost biblical, doesn't it? If he is for us, who can be against us? Do you fear man? Or do you fear God? Do you know you have a caring father? Really? Do do you know you have a caring father? What does it mean if you have a caring father? It means you always have a safe place to run in the midst of any storm. It means you have a front door that is always going to be open. Never have to worry about getting there, knocking on it, and being shut out in the cold. It means you have a shoulder that will always be available to you, even in your deepest hurts, your your deepest fears, your deepest failures. Do you know you have a caring father? What things frighten you that make little to no sense if you remember you have a caring father who is in charge of the universe? Don't feel like you have to hide your fears away, right? We're really good at that in church circles. We come in, we smile, everything's great, it's all fantastic, and we think that's what it means to be Christian, to be holy, to be righteous. You can be frankly and brutally honest about your fears and allow people to remind you of the God who holds you, who cares for you. It's okay to be broken, because we all are, right? So in your brokenness, Remember who it is that holds you and of how much value you are to your caring and loving Father. And then finally, to bring it all to the end, what path are you walking? What path are you walking? The path of fear or the path of faith? Does your life acknowledge Jesus or does it deny him? You can can say you believe whatever you want, right? You can say mentally, yes, I believe there was a guy named Jesus and he died on a cross. And you can even say, I believe that he rose from the dead. But unless you're entrusting yourself to him, those are just facts. Jesus says, if we really believe those things, it will transform us and we will acknowledge him. We'll live a life that's consistent with the things that we say we believe. So which path are you on? I'm not asking, are you perfect? I'm not asking, do you never fear? Because that's not the expectation. If real Christians were never afraid, Jesus wouldn't constantly tell us, don't be afraid, right? You only warn us about that if it's a temptation. So I'm not asking you, are you ever or never afraid? I'm asking you, which path are you on? Are you entrusting yourself to Christ and living the best you can in obedience to him? Or are you shrinking away because you're more afraid of the world than you are of the God you say you believe in? Maybe you would say, you know I I don't believe in this kind of God. Maybe you're real upfront about it. Maybe you walked in as an atheist. Maybe you believe that, that life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. What if it's not? What if it's more than that? Here's the dirty little secret. I, I know you know that it's more than that. Nobody can live like that. At least not for very long. This life means something. This universe means something. And our God is what gives it its meaning. Have you ever considered Jesus Christ? And that perhaps your relationship with him in this life might just be the key to your eternal destiny in the next life. As we go through the book of Matthew, as we meet Jesus, the real Jesus, not the polished up version of Jesus that our culture throws at us or this culture throws at us but Jesus as he was as we meet him I hope and I pray that you see somebody who is worth following who's worth rethinking your assumptions about the world and ultimately I hope you see a savior who is here to accept you in all your fears and all your frailties and all your failures and make you more like himself, and make you more like God, and bring you to God, and hold you, and keep you forever. That is a God worth trusting in. That's a God worth believing in. It's a God worth trusting in. So what path are you walking? The path of fear the path of faith? Let's pray.